This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it's time for Grief Belief. I want to start out today's um, segment with a little bit of maybe semi-religious information. Um, Christy, I've been working with you, and I'm proud of that, that you have been my grief counselor. And I realized the other day why I came, I'm coming back for a second session. In the mail, I got this little card that I get from uh, the funeral home that uh, helped us bury my mother, reminding me that her memorial date is coming up on September 27th, except my mother passed away on October 11th. But in the Jewish religion, you remember the deceased on the day they left this earth. And it really got to me every year, almost two weeks apart, almost every year. I'm remembering the loss. But this year I'm remembering it differently. And I have to say thank you as a grief counselor that I'm finding the good that there was. So this is the first year that when I got it, my first reaction was I wanted to cry. The next reaction was, I have so much to remember. And you all have sort of taught me that. And our guest today, Gabriella Greco, I know so many of her friends, but this is the first <laughs> time we are meeting face to face. Yes, very true. <laughs> and what got me to want to have you on is how you have been dealing with so much grief in the past year. Yes. And yet the positive vibes you have sent to all of us oh. on Facebook. Wow, thank you. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you and about the wonderful glow in your life. Oh, well, so first of all, the reason I had that visceral response when you were talking about your mother's memorial date, because that is the day that my grandmother passed away, September 27th. And um, wow, where do I start? I think I will start with um, a little backstory leading up to Glow's passing, I guess. Um, what many don't know, but also what many do know is that my younger sister, um, Francesca um, was in the fight of her life, literally, for uh, three and a half years. And uh, it was very egregious. Um, we didn't know which way was up nine times out of 10. Um, and that was because she was in need of a, a life-saving double lung transplant. And she, um, after six what they call dry runs, which is where the hospitals call and say that there's organs, and then they find something that's not viable about them. Um, on May 11th, 2022, it was Mother's Day weekend. Um, I just happened to be in North Carolina um, visiting for Mother's Day. And at the 11th hour, and it's so interesting that you, you started it too with the facet of, you know, a, a religious viewpoint, because, you know, in the Catholic tradition and Christian traditions, as I was raised Italian Catholic, um, 
you know, the 11th hour, the angel number, you know, God's never not on time. It's always God's time. Right. And so um, literally at 11 o'clock at night on May 11th, um, we received a phone call from uh, the, the surgeon, the surgeon um, at Duke where she was. Um, she had been listed with uh, the University of Pennsylvania, as well as Columbia University Hospital in New York City. Um, but the reason she ended up at Duke is that she was getting sicker and Duke was always the last option, if you will, if the other hospitals were not serving the purpose that she needed to live. So we found ourselves at Duke. We were, we were grappling at straws. It was the last, you know, the last option, if you will. And on May 11th at 11 PM, the phone rang and the surgeon said, I have your lungs. You need to be at the hospital by 7.30. And uh, I said to the surgeon, I said, uh, I said, Dr. Haney, I now know him as Dr. Haney. I said, if this is for real this time, because I literally, I can't, no, I just can't go through this again, sir. Like, if this is legit, the deal is, you are FaceTiming me and let right before she's being brought back to surgery because I didn't want to go to the hospital. I didn't want to be there until I knew for sure that my sister was getting her lungs because truly I just was in such an emotional roller coaster and such in such this space of, you know, fight or flight and and grief, really just grief of of grappling with the realization, the very real realization that I would probably not grow older with my sister who was 29 years old at the time. So I just, I just could not take any more. And so I said, if this is a go, you FaceTime me, you tell me that my sister's getting lungs. And so sure enough at one thirty in the afternoon, my phone rang and it came up as my sister's number. So I thought she was calling to tell me that it was another dry run. Um, and it was Dr. Haney, and he said, we're wheeling your sister back for surgery. She's getting her lungs today. And um, I can't even describe what that grief journey has been because it's now been one year. It was one year as of May 12, 2023. And um, in the interim of that year, she, uh, we not only lost my grandmother, and I'll get to that story <laughs> after, um, who was the, the actual, like, core of who I am. I mean, I, I love my mother more than anything, but my mother and I were just two very different people. And there have been times of tremendous uh, challenge. I don't mean it negatively. Just all I, I, I would venture to say that all mothers and daughters have had that. Um, but for me, Gloria Glow, my grandmother, Nani, she was just always that person who just deeply understood me. And she was just that person that, that I always felt safest with and knew that I could do absolutely anything as long as she was next to me. You know, it just, it was that that level. And, and I will, again, I'll go back to, to that story in a minute, but um, we lose my, my grandmother, but at the same time, we are united with my sister's donor and her family, which in itself is all, 
another level of grief because it's like now you have this, you know, you feel this almost survivor's guilt for this family you never met, but you're so grateful because their son is the reason why your sister's, you know, breathing, literally. And not only that, but, you know, I grew up, I grew up with mild cerebral palsy, right? And I vividly remember one day my mother, my mother, I really do believe has some level of clairvoyancy. I know that's a, you know, a woo-woo topic, but like she, she's just that way and glow had it too. Um, but she, we were driving one day in North Carolina and she stops the car and I'm like, what are you doing? And she was like, she's like, what if your sister's donor has cerebral palsy? And I was like, what? why would you even, why, why would you? And I got angry. I was like, why would you even say that? Why? And she's like, I don't know, Gabriella. I just, I have a feeling. And I was like, mom, you, you can't talk like that. Like you cannot like stop it. Sure enough, Bradley um, had cerebral palsy and was in a wheelchair and his parents, Tony and Vicky, and I just also want to preface this with like, they are totally fine with me talking about this. Like, cause I, it is so, such a sensitive topic. Um, but Vicky is very adamant about sharing this story and sharing, you know, about Bradley and all of that. So, you know, they're just the most beautiful faith-filled, faith-fueled, graceful people. Like, I, if it was me, and, and, it, and it is me in a way, it's, but it's not me at the same time. There's been days where I literally have just wanted to go under the covers and not want to talk to anybody. And here's this woman who literally lost her only son. And she gets up every single day with a smile on her face and chooses joy and chooses love and chooses to recognize that her son's purpose was way beyond anything she could have ever hoped for. And she has an understanding and an acceptance that Bradley was not meant for earthly purpose. He was, his purpose was, was beyond. And so all of that to say <laughs> that here we are one year later and um, we go through the process of Francesca getting the lungs, which, I mean, I, it's surreal. It is surreal. And I, as I was waiting in the waiting room at 7 West, the pulmonary, you know, intensive cardiac pulmonary intensive care unit in, in you know, Duke, North Carolina, when you get the doctor they had been updating us with text messages and so when dr haney texts from the operating room he said the first lung is in i was like i don't know where to put myself i completely lost it i was i i don't know if it was just the the three and a half years of just you know hanging on so tightly to survive for the to the sense of survival for my sister i i I don't know what it was, but I lost my mind. I was hysterical. And the only person I knew that I could call that could really ground me and center me was Gloria, my grandmother. 
And so I called her and she was the type of person where you didn't have to say anything. She already knew. And she would just, she would just sit in silence with you if that's what you needed. And um, I just never anticipated that a week after my sister got home from Duke, that we would be literally sledgehammered with the reality that she had uh, metastasized stage four glangiocarcinoma cancer. And it was, and you have to understand something, Gloria, my mom's, my mom had a conversation yesterday and her, one of her best friends summed up glow perfectly. <laughs> she was like, you know, there are grandmothers, but then there was Gloria and Gloria, Gloria. And I say this so not pretentiously, so humbly, so proud in a way too, I guess, um, that she was stunningly gorgeous. My grandmother <laughs> was stunning like physically like just she'd walk in a room and I mean I had friends my age I'm 35 who were like your grandmother's so hot I'm like okay that's just weird that's <laughs> that is just that it's like no your grandmother's so gorgeous so she was she was just she radiated this this beauty this physical beauty but also that was just a testament to her internal beauty because she just was just beautiful in every way and you know as my mom's friend was saying she was like you know again there's Gloria and then there, there there's regular grandmothers and then there's Gloria like she was fit she was in the gym five days a week she was a successful real estate broker like a titan like she was she was one of the top female brokers before it was acceptable for females to even do anything like she broke the glass ceiling in every way and she just was vibrant and full of life. And she just loved us kids. She had, There was five of us, right? She loved us so intentionally. And she did everything she possibly could to be there for all of us in our own unique ways and met our own unique needs. And just so to say that you know this loss of her, I, I said it to my, my grief counselor. And my aunt, actually, my mom's sister, I said, you know, I really do. And I've had a lot of wonderful, beautiful, incredible life moments. Okay. But this is hands down, even more so than my sister's transplant. This is the number one life event where I physically felt part of myself leave and change and shift. I can't explain it any other way. I, I, I felt part of my soul, part of my being just leave. And that might be, you know, because, and I'm sorry if I, if there's no fluidity to this, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm all over the place. No, right that's now. okay. Absolutely. And I'm talking a lot and I talk a lot and that's okay. So you want me to stop at any point or you want to interject, please do so. Um, but I, I think the, 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 gravity of that too is that I I was the one who I mean, yes it was a collective family effort I will not discredit where credit is not due but in the final week of her life where she was it was decided because first of all there was no way she was receiving chemotherapy 
she made that. She's like, my, my, my grandchildren. No, she goes, I am too vain. Like my grandchildren, I am not having my grandchildren see me bought. Like that's not, that's not even, that's not up for discussion. So we had been waiting to see if she would, would be approved for um, immunotherapy where, which from what I understand, that means you're, they use your own body cells to try to fight the cancer. And her oncologist came in and, and that's it just for, for time reference from when she was diagnosed to when she passed, it was four weeks. So there was, we had just come off the roller coaster of my sister living literally. And now the number one person in my life is dying. Like what kind of messed up, what, what do you, what are you trying to tell me here universe? What is this? Right. So, um, uh, so we were waiting on the immunotherapy and the oncologist told her, he said, you know, when I became a doctor, I took an oath. And if you were my mother, if you were my grandmother, uh, any of that, my sister, my aunt, he said, I would be doing more harm than good. He said, so you have the option because she was in the hospital at the time because she had had some secondary infections and, you know, um, that she was on antibiotics for. And um, he said, you know, we can finish out here or because she was still very lucid. She was still Gloria in every way. He says, or you can go home on hospice and be with your family and be with, you know, what, whatever time you have left. And so she very gracefully, very digni dignity fueled, you know, integrity fueled said, nah, I'm, I'm going to go home and I'm going to be with my family. And because she was so healthy otherwise, and she was so vibrant and so fit and just so had such life force. Literally, we all thought, we're like, oh, she's got like six months. We're just going to hang out. She's got six months. You know, we're going to make new memories. Like, Gloria, G-Rider, we called her. We had so many nicknames for her. We're like, we, we got, you're, you're going to be fine. And like, we even, we even were like, if there's anyone who's going to like defy the odds and beat this and come out like with her full head of hair looking gorgeous with her lipstick, it's going to be her. Like there, there is so much to my literal shock. I mean, this was, she went home on hospice, all of us, you know, celebrating her going on out. Cause I think she didn't want the doom and gloom. She didn't want the attention. She didn't want it to be a whole big thing. So we chose joy and we were like, all right, Gloria, you got this, you know? And I, I had settled into my head that I was going to come home whenever I could to see her, but she was going to be fine. This was on September 16th, September 19th. My mother called me. Oh, she kept blowing up my phone. She kept calling. I wasn't answering because I was busy doing something. And she's like, and then my sister was like, you need to call mom now. Oh, fuck, excuse my language. And so I called her and she was like, Gabriella, you need to sit down. And I said, what? what? She's like, Nani slipped into a coma last night. And oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? She slipped into a coma. And she said she fell asleep, and she's not waking up. And they're pretty sure she's not going to wake up. They don't know how much time she has, but they don't think it's going to be very long. You need to come home. And for me, you have to understand, growing up with Gloria, you know, I admired her 
I idolized her. Like I was just, I couldn't believe that I shared DNA with such a dynamic woman. And I, I did, I idolized her. I idolized her and she would get so mad at me all the time because she didn't like the attention because she was humble. And I would just say, I just, you're gorgeous. And I'd always say, oh, there she is. Anytime I saw her, I'd be like, there she is. Be like, hi, gorgeous. And she'd be like, shut up, Gabe. Shut up. Stop. You know? But I know secretly she loved it. And Gloria, what many people don't know, and I'm sure she won't mind me sharing this, is she, she too had a very uh, challenging relationship with her mother. And I know, I know, as sure as my name, that the one thing that she wanted was to know that she was needed and loved. And I know that that is something And she was a very private woman and very, like I said, dignified and integrity. And you didn't talk about that, you know, but I, I just, I knew her so well and we had such a bond and we had such a knowing and understanding of, of one another that she opened up to me about a lot. And I just knew that she always just needed to know that she was loved and needed. And so I come home. I'm on this air on the airplane and I'm just still in my mind. I'm like, this is some this is not happening. Like I'm gonna I thought I was gonna walk into her house, go and greet me at the at the garage, like she always did, and say, Hey Gabe. And we pulled up, and I just remember just this silence and but 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 peace. It was a very strange. Thing and I walk in and the lights are dim and that's that's so not her. You walk in her house, there's sunflowers, there's lights, there's and it was it was dark and dim and, and silent. And you know the family was there, and everyone was crying and I just was like, what? and I just was like, I literally was like, where is she? And they're like, she's in her room and she looks like she's she's sleeping, but you know she she's probably not going to make it through the night. Okay. So I go in and she's there and the night I landed, you know, talk about <laughs> divine intervention, truly. Okay. She, the night I landed, my mother got COVID. Mm -hmm. So my mother, Glow's daughter. Now think, now remember the dynamic of the women in my family. Like it's just like a, that's that's how she wanted it. She wanted it to be that way, I, I guess. So my mother goes into isolation. My aunt, her sister, full nervous breakdown. Can't handle it. Can't handle it. Don't blame her, right? Literally says to me, I need you. I need you to be the one to be with hospice. I need you to take care of her. What? What, what? She ended up hanging on for another week. Of course she did, because they said that her heart and her lungs were so strong that she didn't want to let go. And I laid with her every day, literally laid on the same pillow with her every day for seven days straight and I brushed her hair and I put on her mascara and I put on her lipstick 
And I said, I'll be damned if she's in a coma and we're not going to brush her hair and we're not going to put her lipstick on and we're not going to put her, you know, eyelash. Like, no, <laughs> like that's still happening. And it was the most beautiful week of my entire life. It was the most gut-wrenching week of my life. But it was also just such a testament. And I can say this now, it'll be a year, September 27th. And I can I recognize now that it was a testament to that bond she and I always shared. Oh, and truly. And um yeah, I can't describe it. I when I when I the night before she died, transitioned. I like transitioned better. Transitioned. Um, I was talking to her per usual, and I was like, "Glow, I need a sign." Like I just, I, 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 I just Gloria, just give me something right now. And I mean, I was disgusted. We weren't shower. We were. It just was. You were in it, you know, and there just was no time for anything but 24-7 care. And I was helping to bathe her and just all of it. And I'm like, Gloria, I just need something. I need to know. And so that night, excuse me, my mom's dog is barking. He's a Pomeranian. If you hear that, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, he, um, I, I said, I just want to see a rainbow, right? I don't know why I said rainbow, but I want to see rainbow. So I end up going for a walk. It was raining. She loved the rain. That was the other thing. She loved the rain. It rained all seven days. She was in, in her coma. It rained every day. And so I went for a walk in the rain. I came back. They had allowed one of her coworkers, Diana, to come to see her. And... The first thing out of Diana's mouth was, Gabriella, did you see the rainbow behind the house? And I said, excuse me, what? Because I had come, I didn't see it because I had come from around the other way. I said, she goes, there's a massive rainbow behind the house right now. And she's like, it was, it's, she's like, it's like, it's unlike any rainbow I've ever seen. She goes, I was so taken by it, I had to take a picture. And so she took a picture and showed it to me. And I looked like this at my grandmother. I was like, okay, <laughs> all, all right, there it is. And then that night I dreamt of her and she was sitting, we had this chair in her room where people could sit and pray with her, pray over her. And, you know, and she was in the chair, but she was dressed like she was going to work. And I looked at her and, but she was still like, her body was still next to me. Right. And I look at her. I said, what are you doing over there? This was my dream. What are you doing over there? She goes, well, I could say the same thing about you. And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, I've already left. And I said, no, no, you haven't. I said, you're right here. She goes, no, I, I, I left. Sure, sure enough, 4 a.m., September 27th, I went to give her her medicine because we were keeping her comfortable. And, uh... Yeah, she had passed. And I think the most profound moment of my entire life was when I realized that she had passed. And I put my hand on her chest and on her heart. 
And I just said, okay. I said, okay. And I said, thank you for, for everything. Just thank you. And, and I will do my best and I'll be okay. And this is horrible. And I can't believe you're leaving me here. <laughs> but okay. And then I crawled into bed with her and I laid with her for 30 minutes. And then I realized, in, I was like, oh, shit, she's dead. I got to go wake up the house. I have to go tell everybody she's gone. Like, okay. Um, and so, so, yeah. And the, the very magical part of it, too, I, her birthday was February 7th, 27, right? And so I instinctively knew. I said, because she, she would always say, there's always a twist, Gabe. There's always a twist, right? When you think something's a certain way. There's always a twist. And so I instinctively knew. I said, she's going on the 27th. Because the 2-7, that's her birthday. She's, she's going out with a bang. Like, and, and 7 was her lucky number. And so she was 77 when she passed. She would kill me if I admitted her age. <laughs> she was 77 when she passed on September 27th. And um, the gravity of the number seven is that as time went on and we started putting the pieces together francesca came home on august 7th okay francesca just the numbers there's just been seven everywhere everywhere and so i it's been an unspeakable grief journey there have been days where I've just literally just screamed at the top of my lungs. In fact, yesterday I had a moment and I was literally walking. No one was home and I just got slammed with the grief. And I was walking around my mother's house, literally saying out loud, Gloria, excuse my language. Why the fuck did you leave? Where are you? Like, where are you? Why did you leave me here? Why am I having to do this without you? Because we made a pact when I was a little girl that she would never leave me. <laughs> she would never leave me. Because I used to get scared a lot. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I used to get scared a lot. And when I would get scared, I would always go to her. And I would crawl in bed with her and I would be next to her. And even as an adult, like anytime I got scared, I would call her and she would say, whenever you're scared, listen to the rain because she loved the rain. And so, yeah, yesterday I was just having a hard time because she told me she would never leave me. And I just was feeling that. I was feeling the physical loss for a myriad of reasons. Um, but yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I, I'm, I'm watching Christy, Carol, and Candace, and we're all, we're all choking up, and they're trained in grief counseling. <laughs> I am not, um, and I'd love to hear some of their feedback because. You have every right, obviously, to feel what you feel. Yeah. And 
sharing it with us, I think is a gift. Yes. And you know who I have to credit that to? And I don't like to name drop, but I'm going to say it because she and her wife have just been the most, and I keep a lot of our, I share bits and pieces, but I keep a lot of our relationship very private for obvious reasons, but she's just been like, when my sister first got sick, um, my mother loves Melissa Etheridge. <laughs> and so when my sister was really dying, like it was bad. Um, we were all in the throes of COVID. And I was desperate because, and I think maybe I was, maybe part of me thought that somehow Melissa was going to save my sister. I just was, grief makes you think crazy things, right? And so I wrote to Melissa on Twitter of all places, because I have a, a long spanning career in entertainment and working administratively and supporting a lot of amazing artists that I admire. And I'm a singer myself. And, you know, the industry has been very good to me. It's also not been very good to me. And there's just, it's been a long, expansive thing. And so normally I would go the route of finding the manager or finding the publicists and, you know, being respectful and <laughs> but we were in COVID I'm like you know what and I knew that Melissa was very active on Twitter and so I shot her a message a private message and I was like you know you don't know me but uh here's our story essentially and within an hour and a half she wrote me back and she was like yes this is me whatever you need can you get on a zoom call with me and my wife and I'm not I wasn't starstruck. It wasn't that. It was like, oh, whoa, okay, okay, what? Okay. It, it, my grief mind was like, oh, okay, so maybe Melissa is going to save my sister. Like, that sounds so silly, but like, that's where my mind went. And so I got on Zoom with Melissa and her wife, and we talked for 20 minutes before we even got to the the step the reason of why I am asking her to help me really and it just was this you know there's just these people in your life regardless of status regardless of anything where it's out of our control it's it's in divine order universal plan and you just your souls recognize each other right and it's it's profound and you just you just instantly know and that's what it was. And I think in retrospect now, like the universe knew that for whatever reason, I needed Melissa and Linda to be my earth angels during, because I also had got stuck in California. I wasn't living there. I got stuck there. Okay. And I knew nobody. I didn't really know anybody. I didn't know. And then COVID and my sister and da 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 and all of that. And so Melissa and Linda and I just forged this incredible bond. And as I'm sure you know, or maybe you don't know, Melissa lost her son Beckett to um, opioid abuse disorder um, in 2020. He was 20 years old. And uh, Melissa really helped me to understand my grief she held space for my grief there were weeks where I was texting and talking to Melissa more than I was my own family okay and she shared something with me so beautiful that I it, it's literally what has 
I think has helped me to um, accept Glow's passing, I guess. But before I share that, I, I don't want to cut you guys off. I want you to say what you have to say. <laughs> Sorry, I talk, talk a lot. <laughs> There's a lot here. I love your story. Thank you so much for sharing it. It is just, it's beautiful and it's heart-wrenching. It's brutal. <laughs> brutal. I'm stealing that. I'm stealing that. It's Glennon Doyle's. That's Glennon Doyle's. But yes, it's brutal. Um, but thank you so much for just being so honest and open. And I think that it, it does make a difference for other people to hear other people's stories. Yes. So yes. And I mean, do you, do y'all be in the grief experts? Do you have any, you know, because I find there are some days where I just feel, I just feel lost, like just a lost little girl. And I just want to scream it to the, that's the other thing. I grew up, for me, expression and, and putting it out there, writing and sharing, like sharing about Glow helps me. Seeing her pictures helped me. You know, I love seeing her. I love talking about her. I love writing about her. But there's that other side of me where I I have had a lot of people, okay, misinterpret my intention and think that they can claim what my that experience has been and other life experience and they silence me and you're dramatic and you don't need to be saying all of this and you don't need to be doing this and you don't need to be doing that and you're you're embarrassing the family you're embarrassing you know and and you know just the undermining and the dismissiveness and the submissiveness that I feel that I have to go into at times but sometimes for me that's the only way I can get it out is to share it you know and so I don't know again you're all you are all the experts is there any insight or advice that Gabriella you the beauty is is that you are sharing it and the beauty of it is as you well know everyone grieves differently yes but you are embracing your grief as you know how to grieve and you've reached out by reaching out and finding those that could help support you, mm -hmm. there's a beauty in that too. And I am speaking for myself, and I do believe that I'm speaking for all of us when we say the importance here is that you have been able to express it. You're finding those that you can express it with. Yes. And that's part of what all this is about. Brief belief is letting other people know that you are not alone in your grief and that your story is of the utmost importance to all of us. We all share that, however different it is, but we share that pain. And yeah. in sharing that pain, we're allowing others to listen, to hear, and to be there for us. And what I find very yes. interesting is you sought out somebody who has lost her son. Yes. And knows the depth of pain the depth of pain that you were feeling on a different level. Yes. Yes. And she, but see, I met, I, I, I uh, met Melissa. This was way before my grandmother passed away. This was when Francesca was, was dying. Um, and 
uh, one beautiful thing Melissa shared with me. I had gone with her. She had um, had a concert in Palm Desert and um, she had texted me and said, you know, you're more than what you want to come to the show. I'd love to have you. Da, da, da. So I go and I brought some friends with me that I had, I had a musician friend who I'd wanted her to meet who was just so incredibly talented. It's ridiculous. Um, and you know, at this point we had enough of a, a bond in a relationship where she knows that I'm not just going to bring anybody to her. But anyway, we're, we're, we're meeting with them and Melissa looks at me and she said, come over here. I want to, I want to have a side conversation. I want to talk to you. Oh shit. Okay. Like, what did I do? Did I do something, you know? And she's like, no, no, no. She's like, I want to, and she opened up about her son, which I never, never asked, never pried, never, because I respected her grief and respected her space. And I said, if and when she ever felt the need to share or whatever, she'll do that, right? That's her call, her son. And she was, I'm sharing this with you because I see you. And she was, and you are clinging so fiercely to this outcome for your sister. You want her to live. 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 And by you doing that, you are not allowing her to fulfill, okay, her universal contract. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. That is the contract she made way before she came into her physical being. And it's not, you can't control that outcome. So you have to just let go and just allow. And it was, it shifted it for me. And I was like, oh my God. And she said, because she was, and this is what has helped me with my son is, and everyone has, you know, privy to their own belief, but I believe, and my wife believes that before we come, we are all spiritual beings having a human experience. And before we come into our physical beings, we make a contract with source, our creator, God, Jesus, whoever that is. Okay. And that's our contract that we make. Our, and ours alone. And she said, so my son, that was his contract. I may never understand it. I may not know why. She goes, yes. Were we devastated? Sure. She goes, do I think about him every single second of every single day? Absolutely. She's like, but he completed his contract and now his soul is able to be free. And she goes, and I feel him now. I feel him on stage. I feel him right next to me. And you, that you have to, that's what you have to do with your sister. And I said, well, what am I going to do, Melissa, if she dies? I, I, I got angry, not at Melissa, but just out of my own, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to live without her? Like, this is so messed up. Was, you will. You will. And, she goes, and when the days are tough and you feel like you can't go on and you're feeling the heaviness of that, she goes, that's when you call me. That's when you reach out to those who know you, who are a safe space, who you can lean on and say you know what I'm not dealing today I'm not dealing I need I need I need something little did I know foreshadowing little did I know that that would ultimately be a foreshadow for 
the loss of the number one person besides my sister in my life. But I am telling you right now, it is because of that, that I have, I recognize now that it's not up to us to decide who's in our lives, why they're in our lives and when they're in our lives or what their purpose is. But there must've been some soul knowing deep down that I needed Melissa and she, we needed each other. I don't know. And it has nothing to do with fame or, or any of that. It's like, I just, our soul, it was a soul thing and it is a soul thing. And that advice, I have found myself leaning into that more than I ever thought possible. And I have found myself giving that advice. I actually shared that advice with my sister's donor's mom. Like, how beautiful is that? And, and then I was on uh, FaceTime with, with uh, Melissa's wife and we were talking and Melissa was in the background and, and we were talking about Vicky and, and, and Tony and just all of it and Bradley for Jessica's donor and like they live in Tennessee. And so I'm like, well, wait a minute. I was like, Melissa, you got a show, right? In Tennessee. She's like, yeah, I sure do. And I was like, wait, why don't we like, why don't we do something for them? And they're like, that's a great idea. And so on July 12th, lucky number 12, July 12th, um, Melissa and Vicky got to meet. And that was just like, what, what, who would have thought? When I sent that Twitter message that now the donor of my, the mother of my sister's donor is a guest at Melissa's show. It's just, it's so as tragic and devastating and as heavy as it is. It is so, it is such a beauty that you can't even, you can't write. You cannot write it. You know, and then I, you know, shortly after Gloria died, it was only a few weeks. So I was in the trenches. I was busted. Melissa had her off-Broadway show. And I went to her the opening night. I got invited. I say that humbly. I got invited to opening night. And there was this whole scene. And I had not known this. We had not shared this. But Melissa dedicated an entire scene to the bond that she shared with her grandmother and the parallels of that bond to my bond with Gloria, I was at the edge of my seat and I was like, okay, just another star wink. There it is. Another, there it is. Yep. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. So yeah. I think I think the hardest part is feeling validated when the grief feels too much. I feel crazy. Like I feel unhinged sometimes. I really do. I feel unhinged and it's easier for me to just stay off social media, turn my phone off, go under the covers and just but then at the same time I feel like when that happens, I'm giving a disservice to my feelings too, because I'm not, I shouldn't have to be hiding under the covers, wallowing in it. I should be able to. So yeah, again, I think the hardest part of it all is, is receiving the validation for the enormity of what I feel. And I'm still processing the grief of my sister. Let's call, let's call that for what it is, because it's like, that's a, a big mind F like, okay, sure. You're going to, 
prepare for life without your sister. But actually, psych, no, she's going to live. And it's going to be okay. You know, you literally go from the doctors, like her having a living will at 29 years old to her survive, like just living, <laughs> like, like literally just living. And you're like, what? Okay. Well, wh what about all this residual grief from the past three and a half years? Where's that all going to go? What would I do with that? You know, and I find myself, this is the first time I'm saying this out loud. And I don't mean any disrespect, but I find myself having resentment towards my sister's situation. Not my sister. Please don't misunderstand. But the situation. Because it's like, how could you mind fuck me like that? Excuse my language. Like, how? You know? And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm rambling now and I'm sorry, but that's, yeah. But that's like all, isn't it all part of grief? Yeah. I, was saying, I feel like it's really important to kind of remember when we're grieving that grieving is just like just all kinds of emotions and yes. it's important to allow those emotions to happen and well, not sorry. try to push them away and not look at them but to be able to sit in them because they're gonna change that's what I think that's what people that's what I find oftentimes people get scared that they're gonna get stuck in yes one yes the yes. way emotions work is they just flow. So if you can just kind of I like the way Candace calls it surfing, um, if you can just surf those emotions, if you can just let them flow through you, another emotion is going to come. So instead of spending a lot of emotional energy trying to push those emotions away and not look at them and not, you know, try to act like they're not there, it's better just to allow them when they come up. Well, the thing that the thing that I'm afraid of, I think, if, for lack of a better term, Christy is that once I start I won't be able to stop because it is so residual and it is so at the surface and it is but at so deep at the same time you Do know ever sit in journal when that happens and just start writing and writing your emotions sometimes even what precipitated it did it just come out of the blue but how you're feeling and write your words and talk yourself through it yeah yeah, I have not tried that really yet. I've been afraid to do that too because I know once I start, I won't stop because there's so much. There's so Keep much going. to Keep doing. <laughs> Let it flow. Let it flow. And even if you just record it, if you don't want to write it or scream yeah. it out, yes, let it flow. It's all yeah. part of it's part of your process. And it'll come back, may not come back as frequently as time goes on, but it it's there. And it's always right under the surface. You scratch the surface. The pain will always be there. And especially with, with it. Especially with my grandmother. That, you know, and I, I just, because it was so unexpected. There was, there was no prepping for that. That was just like, wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Like, this is what it's going to be. And I, yesterday, I literally, I was just like, again, I was like, why, why did you do this? Why did you leave me? You said you would never leave me. And I got like angry and I'm like, where, where are you? Why did you go? Like, I, I need you. And yet I, she's inside you, isn't she? Oh yeah. I can't tell you how many people, it's the weird, it's the weirdest thing since she passed away. How many people have said, oh my God, just like her oh my god you look just like glow 
you look it's different you look just like Gloria it's so weird and like I had always been told yeah sure I resemble her but never like people are like you 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 you're just you're her and like my little cousin said the other day he's eight he's he's amazing and you said the other day and he was very close to to Nani and you know he's a little boy and he's you know and he said to me he's like Belby's my nickname among the family don't ask it's just Belby and he said Belby you're Nani I was like what he's like you're Nani and I was like what do you mean he's like he's like I don't know he's like I can't describe it he's like you're just her you're just her he's like I just feel her when I'm with you and he's like and you look like her and you you're skinny like her (laughs) you know and and so I take I take pride and I'm, I'm honored that everyone's reminded of glow when they look at me or when they're they're near me but at the same time it just it just sucks like I just but glow is glowing within you yes Gloria is yes she is like and she'll show up in ways that are so like my aunt took the kids to the game farm the animal game farm in this area and she's like, you're never going to. She came back and she's like, you're never going to believe this. And I was like, what? She's like the big pot belly pig. Her name was Gloria. Oh. <laughs> and like, just little moments like that. Like I went to an art event in Santa Monica with my roommate and we walk in and this, and I was, I had just gotten back to California after all of this. I was in a daze. I did not want to do anything. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was just so literally the only people I spoke to were Melissa and Linda and my roommate. Like that is, was the only people I was allowing myself to, to talk to. Um, because that, those were the only people that I felt safe with in that moment. But I went to an art thing that my roommate was like, we're getting out of the house. You're coming to an art thing with me. I'm like, no, I'm not. She's like, yes, you are. Shut your mouth. We're coming. You're going. So we get there and the woman who greets us, she's like, hi, my name's Gloria. And I'm like, what like but that's and it's those moments where I just have to and like just for you now sharing Karen that your mom's memorial is the day she passed like that's not a coincidence well you know we've talked about this before in this program all the connections that we tend to have um and I'd love to have you come back again because I think our our panel has, you know, some ideas maybe for you and suggestions. And as time yes. passes, I think you're going to also be in another place that our audience can actually see, you know, how grief does change. Yes. Um, I yes. am so honored that you have shared Aww. with us today. Um and as I follow you on Facebook and you show pictures of Gloria, yes, you do look like her. <laughs> it is, it is amazing. It is. Yeah. And I just, I'm just so, I'm just so proud that I was, and that, that's the thing too. It's like, I just want her to be, she worried about me. She did. Cause you know, living the artist life, Karen, as you know, it's not the most stable and there have been many times where things have been exorbitantly tight and I you just don't know where the next whatever's going to come from and so she she worried about me a lot and 
I just want her to be proud of me, you know? And I just, I want to do her proud because that's what she deserves because I am her legacy. Like I am, like I am the direct legacy of my grandmother. And I, I just want her to be proud of me. Her memory lives on through you. I've just, I've also, side note, I never, ever thought that I could miss someone so much. Like, some days there's just no words for it. It's like, I, I, like I told you earlier, like, part of me left with her. And I think a lot of that is because I was so intimately involved and I was the one who was there when she took her last breath. And I was the only one who was there when she took her last breath. And that realization of while you're still breathing and your heart is still beating and you have your hand on her chest and her heart's not beating, it's it's indescribable. That, but there, and there's also the, the recognition of how close we are there is no separation between life and death there isn't it's right there like it's it's two seconds away it's right there you know and it really did it 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 changed me so maybe i am also grieving part of myself that left with her very possibly well we will have you back yes Um, (laughs) you are absolutely delightful Thank you. um, And thank you for asking me. And thank you because I, before you asked me, as you know, like, I just was like, I need something. Like I am on the struggle freaking bus right now. I like need a safe space to, to channel all of this because it's so again, no coincidence that you reached out and I was like, and I was, I'm telling you right now, I was not going to do it. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I, I, I didn't want to, even though, even though in my crazy grief mind moments before I was like, I need something. And then I, then when it was right in front of me, I was like, nope, I'm not, I'm not going there, but I'm so glad that I did. And I'm so grateful to you. And I'm grateful to you for opening up this community now that I know that I can lean on and I know that I can continue to heal with, um, and it's just so happens too. tomorrow. I have a FaceTime with Melissa's wife, Linda. And um, so again, no, 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 no coincidence. It's just, I love yeah. it. Have a, <laughs> have a wonderful day. And we'll talk to you real soon. Thanks everybody. Yes, thank you so much guys. Thank you. Bye now. I'll see you. Bye. Bye.